It's been said that in obedience, there is no plan B. There cannot be a backup plan. You have to be all in when it comes to obedience. While there is wisdom in having a contingency plan in other areas of life, in obedience, there can be none. Chris Gilbo writes in an article, My favorite part of reading case studies and interviewing entrepreneurs over the past couple of months has been hearing a number of stories with a recurring theme. In dozens of variations, the story usually sounds something like this. I was going down to my last $400 and simply had to make it work. I gave up the option to take a reduced role at my job and just went full tilt. I didn't know what I was doing, but I finally overcame everything I was stalling on and just started. Refusing the backup plan, he writes, is a key theme of many successful entrepreneurs and other heroes. Because a good backup plan creates safety, security, and a fallback option, things you don't want when you're trying to change the world. Will Smith puts it like this, your plan B interferes with plan A. I like that. Why not stick with plan A? Chris also writes, you'll hear something like this, airplane pilots always have a plan B, as if it's an open and shut case that you're wrong to chart a course without considering the contingencies. And when you're presented with such logic, you're expected to say, oh, you're right, it's better to play it safe. But hold on a minute. Personally, I want my pilot to safely land the plane. Assuming that's plan A, I'm happy to stick with it. Anything else doesn't sound like a good plan to me. Sometimes it's best not to have a backup plan. Why? Because having a backup plan undermines your likelihood of success. Even by putting a little effort into thinking about alternatives makes you work less hard to achieve your goals. Without a backup plan, I decide what I want and go after it with single-minded focus. I don't get distracted by alternatives and I won't be deterred by obstacles. I find or create a way to deal with challenges and move forward. The fact is that I've yet to meet a successful entrepreneur who really has a plan B and the reason is simple. Thomas Kolopoulos writes, people with plan B's don't put all their effort into plan A. The result is that when they're going through rough times, they fall into their safety nets. In fact, they often reach for it at the first sign of trouble. It is the same in obedience to the Lord and in His Word. It is best not to have a backup plan as we need to go all in in obeying God. If we have a plan B, We won't put in the full effort required in obedience. And at the first sign of trouble, we will reach for our safety net, which is disobedience. Or to justify alternative plans for obedience, which is also disobedience. So again, when it comes to obedience, it's best not to have a backup plan. As we continue our study in the book of Joshua in our series titled Courage in the Crucible, we want to study some principles for obedience to give us the courage to obey God and His Word, even if we go through times of uncertainty or times of trials or at those crucible moments, we still need to obey. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8 as we study verses 1 to 35. Joshua chapter 8 as we take a look at verses 1 to 35. I read now from verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. 
See, I have given into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Here the Lord encourages Joshua that with his help, he and the Israelites will be able to take the city of Ai after the nation has dealt with Achan's sin. Notice the instruction in verses 1 and 2. God told Joshua to bring all the men with him to take the city of Ai this time. In chapter 7, if you remember, because of the sin of Achan, God took his help and his hand of blessing away from the people of Israel and allowed the people of Israel to do what they thought was best. And so the people only sent about 3,000 soldiers underestimating the strength of the soldiers of Ai. And they were soundly defeated. There were no instructions from God in chapter 7 for how to take the city, for God was silent. But this time, they were given very specific commands from God on what to do for how to defeat the people of Ai, as the nation had now been sanctified and the sin of Achan had been removed. Notice in verse 2, as part of the instructions, that the soldiers were able now to take the spoils of the city for themselves after they defeated Ai, unlike in Jericho, where they were not able to take anything. Oh, if only Achan had waited and not taken anything from Jericho as God has instructed, then he would now have the opportunity to get the spoils of war from Ai with the Lord's blessings. Now I point out this verse because here there's a direct correlation that when God commands us to do certain things, it does include good things for us. You see, sometimes we have the notion that whenever God commands us to do something, it is of no benefit for me. When we obey God and in His Word, it's only for God. It's only to make Him happy. It's only to honor Him. But you know, my friends, we have to change our mindset because God's commands are always for our good because He loves us. And here is our first obedience principle number one. Obedience principle number one. God's commands are for our good. We should obey. God's commands are for our good. We should obey. I want you to think about all of the commands that God gives us in His Word. Is there any commands in the scriptures that he makes us do that makes our lives miserable for example god commands in the bible that we are to save the expression of sexual intimacy only for marriage between one man and one woman how is it for our good when the world says that when we sleep around with multiple partners it's more fun well this biblical command protects us from sexually transmitted diseases It protects us from pregnancies for when we're not ready to have a child. It gives us the assurance of trust that our spouses can be trusted and they will be faithful. It deepens a marriage relationship because that trust is there. And there are other benefits when we live out this command. This command is for our good. But we have been led to believe that this biblical command from God restricts our happiness And God wants to take away our fun. Or for example, God commands us to patiently control our anger with self-control. Again, it's not so that we won't be able to express everything that's on our heart with the freedom of expression. 
but it's so that we won't say the wrong things in the heat of the moment that we will only regret, which then we can't take back. It's so that in our blinded anger that we don't accuse the wrong people for doing something that they did not do. It's so that we don't take actions that will land us in jail or cause irreparable damage or harm. This command is for our good. But we are led to believe in this world that this command restricts our freedom of speech and expression to say what we want to say. But now we must be in self-control. My friends, I challenge you, give me a command in the Scriptures from God that is of no value to you. And I want to give you a thousand dollars or fifty thousand pesos because that's all I have to give you. Because I really want to know, is there a command of the Scriptures that you find no value in? I've studied the Scriptures and all the commands of God are for our benefit in some way or another. Don't buy into what the world teaches and tries to convince you of that the rules of Scriptures are old-fashioned and they are restrictive and they're going to cramp your style and they suck out all of the joys of your life. There is no joy in life when you are suffering from the consequences of your own sinful disobedience. Now, are there rules and commands of God that you and I may not fully understand how they would help me in that moment? Of course. I don't understand how the instruction to love my enemies and forgive those who have wronged me helps me in any way at the present moment. But I have to accept it's for my good because the command comes from a loving God who wants only the best for me. Now look at verses 3 to 8 with me. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua tells the people the instructions and the commands of the Lord, which was for them to draw out the soldiers of Ai out of the city by making them believe that the soldiers of Israel were fleeing. And once the men of Ai chased them and left the city unguarded, another hidden force will enter the city and take over the city and then burn it. While these are very specific instructions, there are still a lot of things that could go wrong. There were many things that were outside of their control. What if the people of Ai don't chase after the fleeing Israelite soldiers? What if they don't totally abandon the city and left a strong fighting force to defend the city? What if the hidden force was discovered? There are a lot of what-ifs to this plan. But notice that in the Lord's command, there is no plan B for what will happen if things don't go as planned. But notice the words of Joshua from the Lord in verse 7. The Lord will deliver the city into your hand, 
And then the command in verse 8, you shall do it as I have commanded you according to the commandment of the Lord. So basically God was saying, just follow the commands. Just follow my commands. There are no backup plans because everything will work itself out as long as you obey me. And because there is no plan B and because there is no backup plan, then we simply are left with no choice but to follow God's command. And then we have to leave the results to Him. Here is a wonderful principle, obedience principle number two. Obedience cedes control to God and leaves the results to Him. Obedience cedes control to God and leaves the results to Him. Many times, our obedience in the Lord's command is what we call results-based obedience. We only obey if we like the likely outcome, or we like the intended outcome, if it's beneficial for us. We don't like to obey if we don't know what will be the outcome, or it seems as if the results of the obedience won't be something good for us. And so we look at a command to do what is right. But if we don't like the results because it would result in a job loss or less money or no promotion per se, we aren't very inclined to obey because it brings us no benefit. But if we know that our obedience will net us a million dollars, or perhaps in our obedience we will have a promotion or receive a promotion or have a spouse or have a new house or have a child or even a problem-free life, then it becomes very easy to obey. When can we learn to obey the Lord without needing to know the results? Can we simply obey because we accept it that God has asked us to do these things and it is good for us, even if I don't understand how it all works? Obedience should know no plan B because obedience should not be results-based. We are to obey God's command even if it costs us something or we lose out on something. Because in obedience, we're trusting in God's control of the situation for our best as it honors Him. Someone once recounted, a few years ago, I was caught up in the drama of a live broadcast of Nick Walenda's tightrope crossing over the Grand Canyon. It takes a special sort of crazy to do what Walenda does. Let's face it, the drama of watching someone walking on a two-inch cable warrants primetime television viewing, as the consequences of falling can be just as devastating. What struck me most was that Walenda had no real backup plan. He was not tethered to the tightrope, there was no safety net, and he certainly wasn't wearing a parachute. If he stumbled, he'd need to get back up. And if he fell, there was only one way to go. And you know he couldn't turn around. Maybe obeying God and His Word should be like us literally walking on a tightrope, where all we can do is walk on ahead, knowing the deadly consequences of not staying on the rope called obedience. Look at verses 9 to 13. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went out to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. 
Now a valley lay between them and I. So we took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Joshua set aside an ambush force of about 5,000 men just to the west of the city between Bethel and Ai to attack the city in an ambush and to cut off any possible reinforcement from the city of Bethel. And the bulk of the army was on the, the north side of the city in full sight of the people of Ai. Now the Bible gives us a detail about there being a valley on the north side of the city because it put Joshua and the people with him in a position of great vulnerability. You see, the city of Ai had the height advantage from that position, especially if Joshua and his men were in a valley or in a ravine. And any student of military strategy will tell you, if you have the high ground, do not leave that position. Do not cede the high ground. Any attacking force would have to run up to your position and would be easily to defend the high ground. So Joshua and his army really had to trust the Lord that the Lord will work things out according to his plan and to draw the enemy out and give up their high position to leave the city defenseless. Look at verses 14 to 17. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. The next morning, Joshua and his men attacked the city and at the first sign of opposition, pretended to flee and run away from the city of Ai. The king of Ai and his soldiers, for some unknown reason, decided it is the right move to clear the entire city of fighting men to leave their fortified high position and chase after the fleeing Israelites. Perhaps they thought, they could finally defeat the bulk of the armies of Israel once and for all as they were fleeing in supposed fear. Again, my friends, when you leave the results to God, it's just amazing to see what God does. God causes the people of Ai to make a really bad decision, perhaps putting into their hearts a feeling of overconfidence. It is nothing short of an amazing work of God that an entire city would be left defenseless, especially when they had the high ground. And not a single soldier was in the city as they chased the fleeing Israelites. You know, when you read this story, it's not a battle won with brilliant strategy, although it was a wonderful strategic plan as given by God. But the force of the story is that it is a miraculous battle won because God worked to cause the enemy to make a foolish decision while his people simply obeyed his instructions without a plan B and left the results and the outcome to God. Look at verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards I, for I will give it into your hand. 
And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they had pursued them, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai." When the city of Ai was cleared of any fighting men, the Bible tells us, the hidden force in the west went into the city and took it and burned the city. When the soldiers of Ai saw that their city was burning, they realized they could no longer turn back. And Joshua's force that was pretending to run away now turned around and fought the soldiers of Ai who were now caught in what is known as a, a pincer move. They were caught in the middle. The soldiers of Ai, being caught in the middle, had nowhere else to run and they were routed and defeated. The Bible tells us 12,000 from the city of Ai, all of them fell that day. But I want you to notice something. Go back to verse 18. If you read it too fast, you'll miss it. Here there is another command of God for Joshua. He was supposed to hold up his spear in his hand towards the city of Ai. And by following his command, they would be victorious. I remember this to be a similar incident in Exodus chapter 17, when Moses was asked to lift up his hand, and as long as his hands and his arms were lifted up, the people won the battle. It has the idea, as long as you obey, you will be all right. You will not be disqualified for not fully following God's command. And that is our third obedience principle, number three. As long as you obey, you will be all right and not be disqualified from God's blessings. As long as you obey, you will be all right and not be disqualified from God's blessings. Look at verse 26. The upheld spear of Joshua is still in view. Verse 26 to 29. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoils of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stone that remains to this day. Again, notice in verse 26 that Joshua did not put his hand down until I was utterly defeated as commanded by God. What a picture of obedience. 
You know, often in obedience, we literally want to put our hands down and give up. And Joshua could have thought the same. He could have thought, what in the world am I doing this for? I see that the ambush has taken place. The city is burning. I can put my hand down. Things are going well. We are routing the people. Or Joshua could have thought, why is no one else doing it but me? How come no other leader or soldier of Israel was doing this? Or as he looked at his men fighting, no one else has to do this ridiculous thing of keeping one's hands outstretched. Why only me? But in his obedience to God, Joshua's fighting forces were blessed by God and won the battle. In the same way, we may be thinking, why do we have to obey these commands from God's Word? Why do we have to obey even when no one else is obeying, even if other Christians are also not obeying? We may wonder and feel bad that we are getting laughed at because the world sees our obedience to God and His Word as ridiculous. But my friends, don't worry about what others think. Just obey. Because as long as we obey God's Word, everything will be all right. And we will not be disqualified from God's blessings. You know, this is really one of the challenges of obedience. To persevere in obedience. Because it does get tiring. It does get lonely. It does get frustrating to be the only one following the rules. But know that there is God's blessings that comes with our obedience. Now, God's blessings are by His grace bestowed upon us. But in our disobedience, we incur His discipline instead of His blessings. And so in obedience, we make sure we don't disqualify ourselves from His blessings He so graciously chooses to give us. Remember the story of Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Ronald Dahl? There were five children who won the chance to be the next owners of the candy empire of Willy Wonka. They didn't know that they were being vetted for the job, thinking it was only a tour of the confectionery factory. Out of the five children, four of the children were eliminated from consideration and ejected from the factory for breaking the rules. Augustus Glop was removed because of his greedy nature and drinking from the chocolate river when he wasn't allowed to. Violet Beauregard was removed because of her competitive nature and turned into a giant blueberry, if you remember, by eating the three-course dinner chewing gum, which was not ready to be chewed and disobeyed Wonka's orders. Baruch Salt was removed because of her spoiled nature trying to steal a, a nut-testing squirrel. Mike TV was removed because of his obsessive nature and also failed the tests. Charlie was the only one left because he obeyed and followed the rules, and he won control of the candy empire and the factory. And Wonka explained that the tour was designed to find the true heart and the character of a person. In the same way, the trials and the tests and the crucibles that we go through in life are a way for God to test our character, to pass the tests, and to win in life so that God is pleased as a follower of Christ, we just need to live in simple obedience to His Word. Remember what I said last week. It is in the integrity of our character. It is in the holiness of our lives. It is in our obedience that brings glory to God. 
Look at verses 30 to 35. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, a servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priest, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. A few things I want you to notice in these verses. As Joshua led the people in a reading of God's Word as an act of worship after this great victory in Ai. First of all, in verse 32, we are told that he publicly wrote again the Word of God, known as the Mosaic Law in stone, to show the importance of God's Word. And then in verse 34, we are told that he read all the words of the law, according to all that was written in the book of the law. And in verse 35, there was not a word that Joshua did not read. What was stressed is the word all. Joshua did not pick and choose what he wanted to share with the people as it related to God's Word, God's instruction, God's commands for them. What he gave them was a complete picture. The people were expected to live in full obedience to God's commands. In verse 34, we're told that he read both the blessings and the cursings. He read the commands as it related to obedience that would lead to God's blessings. And he read the commands that would relate to disobedience that would lead to God's discipline and curses. And that is an important thing for us to remember. Because people nowadays pick and choose only the verses they want to read or they like to hear. They only pick the so-called inspirational things that would help them and make them feel good. They only want the positive things from the Bible. And so they leave out the hard things of the Bible They don't want to hear about the rebukes and the words of admonition and the words of discipline that are just as important and are equally written in God's Word. You know, in the mid-2nd century, there was a man named Marcion who didn't seemingly like the wrathful God portrayed in the Old Testament, but like the more gracious God portrayed in the New Testament. Of course, we know that it is the same God both in the Old and in the New. So to fit what he liked to read and hear, he compiled his own Bible and took out all of the Bible passages and the books that didn't seemingly fit into what he thought God needed to be. And so his Bible only consisted of 11 books, part of the Gospel of Luke and 10 of the Pauline epistles. Everything else was rejected, the entire Old Testament and many of the New Testament books, which didn't fit into his understanding of how he wanted God to be. Marcion was condemned as a heretic. But you know, we should also be careful not to be modern-day Marcions 
in that we skip over the parts of the Bible we don't like. Or we skip over the parts of the Bible that we don't like how God is portrayed to only read the easy stuff. Or we skip over the parts of the Bible that would require us to study more in depth. And so, in many ways, if we are only picking and choosing the verses of the Bible we choose to study, we choose to heed or listen to, then we are, in many ways, like Marcion as well. Because then we will only get an incomplete picture of God as He Himself has revealed in the totality of the 66 books of the Bible. My friends, think about what happens when you only listen to half an instruction in a game. Let's say you are invited to play a game, but the only thing you hear is about the rewards of playing that game, not the punishment. Would you still join? Hypothetically, let's say you play this game where the results is that if you win, you win a million dollars. And that's the only thing you hear. Would you play? I think most of us would. But what if part of the instructions which you didn't hear was that if you lose the game, you would die? Would you play this game? Of course not. But the problem is many of us only want to listen to the rewards, not the consequences. But my friends, in reality, all of us are playing this game. Because this is not a hypothetical game. This is the game called life. And if you only hear the good parts, you don't realize that there are consequences for losing in this life. And it is death. So while a relationship with God is wonderful and there are some amazing things that go with it, there is another part called sin, death, eternal punishment that must be talked about and must be listened to. Because failure to obey God's command to believe in His free gift of salvation through Jesus will lead to death. It is important for us to listen to all the instructions from the Scriptures so that we can win in this so-called game called life. Now quickly look at the audience who were listening. In verse 33, we are told that all Israel was there on two mountains. From the leaders, such as the elders, officers, and judges, to the women, the children, and even the non-Jews who were with them, according to verse 35. That meant that no one was exempt from hearing the Word of God. From the leaders to the lowly, all genders, all ages, all ethnicity, Jews and non-Jews, the Word of God applies to all people. So putting together this final obedience principle number four, no one is exempt from full obedience to God's commands. No one is exempt from full obedience to God's commands. No one is exempt from full obedience. No one. You and I are not exempt, whatever our position, whether you have a high social standing or a low social standing in life. No one is exempt. My friends, I know it is hard to obey God's Word living in the 21st century. The world makes fun of us when we live in obedience to His Word. The world tells us that God's rules are restrictive and that they take out all of the joys of life. The world tells us that if we obey God's Word, then we will not succeed in this life. But those are all lies. Those are all tricks of the devil. Because, number one, God's commands are for our good. We should obey. Number two, obedience cedes control to God and leaves the results to Him. Number three, as long as you and I obey, we will be all right and not disqualified from God's 
blessings. And number four, no one is exempt from full obedience to God's commands. Let's all learn to obey God's command in the Bible without seeking a backup plan, living a results-based obedience. Let's obey because it glorifies God and it is for our good so that we can win in this game called life. My friends, I challenge all of us, including myself, to live in full obedience to God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word which again reminds me, and I hope all of us, that your commands are for our good and we are to obey them. There are times that we are simply tired. We put our hands down because we don't want to be the only one obeying your word. The world is making fun of us, and somehow we have been misled into thinking that obedience to your word takes all the fun out of life. I pray, Lord, that these obedience principles will be real in our life so that we find that the greatest joys of our life is found when we fully obey, not picking and choosing all of the commands of the Lord in our life. And Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live a life of obedience. So may the Holy Spirit enable us to live rightly before you. And I pray that our people who have heard this word would really be challenged to look into your word to see how we are to live so that we will not be disqualified from your blessings and we will find out that all things will indeed work together for our good, for those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these wonderful reminders. Now may we live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.